Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Season Gaming Conversation. Tonight, Bert, Jordan, and I are going to be talking about the argument for and against buying games at launch. So as we know, with so many games on the market right now and so many people talking about their backlog, um, there's been an argument around, you know, should we wait to buy games um, six months, 12 months, what have you down the line? Because one, the price really drops quickly. Uh, a lot of games now come with DLC or season passes or expansions. And on top of that, with so many games running multiplayer components and on servers, uh, there's a lot of bug fixing and kind of expansions or, you know, uh, patches that come down the line that actually make the game better over time. So if you buy later, you get a better experience for less money. So we were going to kind of run through uh, some of the key points in this argument and just give our thoughts on, you know, what the arguments for and against are. So we're going to start with kind of the first subtopic, if you will, and that's going to be price point and pre-order bonuses. So as you know, or most know, um, sites like Amazon or Best Buy Gamers Club, you can save some money up front if you pre-order a game. Uh, and then obviously, you know, almost all the retailers or sites offer pre-order bonuses of some form for the major games. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to kind of talk about, you know, is it better to go ahead and get that discount up front and get your pre-order bonuses? Or again, you know, would you rather save uh, extra money, uh, sometimes a substantial amount, if you just wait three, six, 12 months down the line? So Jordan, I'm going to go to you first and uh, kind of talk about pros and cons and your thoughts on, uh, you know, specifically relating to price, uh, get buying games, you know, pre-launch or waiting down the line. What do you think? Um, well, you know, um, obviously there's going to be a balance that that's here. Um, I think that when I was younger, um, I was more inclined not to care about price as much because um, really I didn't have all that much in the way of, of responsibilities and expenses and things like that. I would, you know, go out, date, whatever, put gas in my car and go buy video games. Um, but, you know, as one gets older and supposedly they mature, um, you know, they understand that they've got to start using uh, their money for other things, you know, other than video games. So, you know, over time, I think that I've gotten a bit more selective, um, specific, specifically because I have to be able to justify um, the price, you know, for the game at the timing in which I'm actually buying the game. Um, and that can be a little uh, tricky uh, at times, obviously, for the reasons that we're probably about to go over. Uh, but a pro for it um, obviously would be, you know, uh, you can get usually a lot of deals and discounts uh, depending upon the time of year. Um, during the holiday season, there's deals everywhere. I mean, Green Man Gaming is giving deals, you know, you know, everybody's giving deals. And Amazon Prime, if you if you pre-order these games, they'll usually give you somewhere around, you know, 20 percent off, um, you know, just so that they can, uh, you know, get some some heavy sales during that time period. So. Uh, that's a pro, you know, you don't have to necessarily pay $60, you know, you can pay, you know, roughly around, you know, $48, $50 uh, uh, for the, for the game and have it on day one. Um, uh, the other uh, big thing is, is that uh, you get bonuses for some of these pre-orders. So they always try to throw like, you know, pre-order weapons or pre-order skins, you know, some sort of incentive in order uh uh, that you can show that, you know, you pre-ordered the game and, and make you feel as if you're getting a greater value for your, you know, for your product. Um, so if that's something, you know, that uh, would be interesting to you and you want to do that, it's questionable as to whether or not uh, those pre-order bonuses are sometimes worth it. And many times you don't know that they're worth it until after you've purchased the game and started playing it. And then you say, you know, doggone it, this really wasn't worth it. Um, I'll, I'll get more into that into the cons, but... Um, uh, there's also premium versions of the titles, you know, so you can get these, you know, super duper special editions that usually sell out relatively quick. And if they do sell out, if you don't get it during the, this pre-order period, what ends up happening is, is you have to buy it probably secondhand where some guy sitting in his basement bought 16 of them. And then he, re <laughs> he resells these things, you know, afterwards, you know, at like a 6,000% markup. You know, and, and you can't find one, you know, on eBay or something like that. So um, that's an incentive as, as well. Um, and as far as, you know, the hard copies, uh, if you decide to get one instead of digital copies, although hard copies are starting to, you know, really kind of disappear, I think, um, you know, you can trade hard copies in and get robbed by, you know, GameStop, you know, or maybe even resell them, you know, on eBay once you're finished with them, uh, if it's a short game in order to maybe recoup some of the money that you uh, invested in the game uh for cons well you know what let's 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 stop for that and and, and let's go ahead and, and just talk about if, if there's any um 
anybody else that has any pros before I actually go into the cons. I might be talking too long, so I want to make sure that uh, Bert gets to have a say as to the pros as well. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess out of the three of us, and Ains, we'll probably go back and forth on a tug of war on who's worse, but I'm probably the <laughs> ultimate cheapskate in the entire trio of us. I don't know, Jordan, you might be right on top nah, of dude. <laughs> yeah, by the time by the time we finish this, you're gonna find out, man. That dude, Jordan, man, he's he's a cheapskate. Yeah. So the biggest thing is, uh, one of the big things about all three of us actually is we play almost all platforms. Um, you know, Jordan probably plays a little bit more PC than us, um, if not a lot more. But I've gotten more into PC, and this hobby can get extremely expensive really fast when you try to play everything and all consoles and all the new software that comes out. So I'm really into getting the bargain wherever I can, uh, which has got me a lot closer to doing kind of what you mentioned earlier with the Amazon side of things where you get 20% off. And unless the game is something that I really, really want, I've been looking forward to it, maybe it's had a ton of delays and something, I actually wait for a while in order to pick up that game and not pick it up right off the bat. You know, with our site not being a review site, we don't get those early copies and, and free versions from developers. So we have to pay with that stuff out of pocket. So it's a lot harder for me to, you know, justify buying 10 games in the month of October um, without doing that. So there's, for me, the pros are taking advantage of those discounts right off, right off the bat from Amazon, your Best Buys. Um, and sometimes I'll just rent the game from Gamefly at the beginning and get a, get a lot of it and then buy it later down the road. Um, the other thing that's kind of tricky is when you kind of learn a little bit about the developers in general, you'll notice that someone like an Ubisoft or even like a Bethesda, their games go on sale really quick after release. So when you start kind of following the industry a little bit, you don't buy specific games at launch and you wait for those games to drop in title or sorry, to drop in price. A good little heads up for people. If you're really into Assassin's Creed Origins, wait till December. It'll drop down to 40 bucks, maybe even less than that. In January, it'll be even less. So there's, you just got to follow them. Some games never drop in value. Calling you out, Nintendo, you never drop your values <laughs> on anything. So uh, that's it really quick for me. I'm sure, Ains, you've got plenty to say as well, but welcome to the cheapskate. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you guys nailed most of it. Um, I, I echo what you said. So play on all platforms, and my curse is actually that I, I just love almost all genres as well. So, And I love to play new games or to get my hands new games so i'm cursed in the sense that i just want like every game that releases and i end up buying a ton more than i could ever hope to play um but to your point um yeah we're always looking for that deal so i'm constantly just searching game fly use copies or ebay or bundles of older games and all those things as well um i do take advantage of the amazon 20 percent off uh, i liked it a lot better when they offered the 20 percent off on collector's editions as well which they now stopped um so being someone who buys a lot of collector's editions or limited editions, your point, Jordan, around uh, you know getting those before they disappear is always tricky because the problem you have now is um, some collector's editions will be you know $200, but they make way too many of them. So we've seen that with uh, the Halo games, Gears, um, Titanfall, Mass Effect. So a lot of ones that you've been kind of picking up. Battlefield was another one, right, Bert, recently? Um, so you don't know whether to pick it up at launch and try to take advantage of whatever deals you can find before it sells out and goes for double on eBay, or you may pay 200 for something that uh, is $50 down the line. So you don't really know. But um, I think the, the if we're sticking on pros for price point, I think the key is uh, you know the 20% off uh, at Gamers Club, Best Buy, or, or Amazon, and taking advantage of all those pre-order bonuses, uh, getting extra items. Um, I especially like in games when they uh, will offer like additional missions or something in like a single-player game. Um, other than that, I think that well, let's go ahead and move into the cons. So the cons are pretty obvious, right? On price point specifically, is that games just get cheaper over time. Um, most anyway, as you said, Bert, there's some first party Nintendo games typically that may uh, retain their value more, but for the most part, on the whole, games uh, steadily decrease. And nowadays, with the way the market is, they decrease rapidly. So as we said, you know, even if you just want to wait three or six months, you're usually paying 50% or less of what the launch price was. Uh, we've seen some games that launched last fall already by summer now, you know, in the $20 range. So it's a third of what they launched at, which is pretty significant, especially if you're trying to save a few bucks here and there. Um, on top of that, things like season passes are pretty popular, and you know, expansion passes. And the weird thing about those is they're never going to be more expensive than when they launch, right? Those things always just go down. And if you want to get uh, DLC or expansions or any of the content for the major shooters, Call of Duty, Battlefield, um, 
the Star Wars Battlefront, you know, um, it's unbelievable if you look at something like Star Wars Battlefront that you can get the Ultimate Edition, which includes all the DLCs for like five or ten bucks now, which when you added all of that up at launch would have been, you know, $150, $160. So it's pretty amazing. Um, but I think uh, speak, strictly speaking about price point, the only con really is, is, uh, is that is that you're paying for something as an early adopter that you know is no doubt going to go down. Um, so I don't know well, if you guys go ahead. Jordan. Actually, uh, uh, another couple cons as well. I mean, obviously, um, you know, Bert had mentioned this earlier, um, seasonally, you know, you get into a situation where there's a lot of these games that are coming out all at the same time. Uh, and you know, you can't play them all at once. So you have to be very selective as to whether or not you do go and get some of these day one games, because you can be at risk of buying these games and then still not actually be able to get to playing them for four of the six months in which you would have paid even less because the price would have gone down naturally. Yeah, um, I wish you would uh, somehow tell my brain that because I can't seem to comprehend it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I understand. I've, I've, I've been in that spot as well. But I, I think that, you know, you know, when it comes to price point, you know, one of the the bigger deterrence for me, um, and it's been increasing over time, I, you know, a couple of years ago, it was probably the worst, is that I don't really have a very good way to tell anymore whether or not these games are actually going to be good. And an investment is an investment nonetheless. Okay, it doesn't matter if I pay $48 or it doesn't matter if I pay $60. You know, it doesn't matter if I pay $20, you know, four to six months from now. I, over time, I've just gotten so much more discerning and I hate to say it, but a little distrusting of, you know, the publishers and the developers uh, in in the products that they're releasing because I'll go and I'll buy something and then it ends, ends up being a candy coated turd, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you, you and you you've got the game at that point. You know, I mean, a, a good example is the, you know, the, you know, the game that Ains killed Andromeda. You know, where <laughs> we're going to keep doing that in, man. <laughs> you know, I didn't buy that new, but uh, no, actually, I'm sorry. I did. I did. I, I took advantage of um, a pre-order uh, for it, um, and it was relatively cheap. It was already getting, you know, bad, bad reviews on it, but I was still able to get the pre-order bonus, I think, like a week or so after uh, the game released from, from Amazon, you know, but... You know, disappointing part about that is, is you're making that investment thinking that this is going to be something that you're going to be able to play or replay, that, that there's going to be DLC and all other kinds of aspects of the game, and the game was killed. You know, so now, now you know, there's nothing, you know, in that regard. Other times, you just might buy a game that's just awful, and you don't really have the incentive to play it anymore. Um, so making that initial investment, I think, um, you have to also balance whether or not you're actually going to think that this game is good and sometimes that's really impossible i think it's getting more difficult actually yeah and i <clears throat> i think that's a good argument for hard copies um i know i know bert and i buy a lot of hard copies and and um you know on pc which you've seen the game more on jordan that's a little more difficult right almost everything's digital over on pc nowadays but um i you know one of the arguments for hard copies is exactly that if i buy a game so for instance uh, here's a good example not that it's a terrible game, but it's a good example of lessening the investment, to your point. Uh, I typically buy NHL, the sports game series, and if I get that from Amazon for $48 um, with the 20% off, I then play it, you know, play it at launch. I have EA Access on Xbox One, so I can start playing the game early digitally. I can then buy the hard copy from Amazon, get it, play it all season. And then by about summer, early summer the next year with EA Access, it, the game becomes free free to download and play so i can then <laughs> trade the hard copy or sell the hard copy back in which i've done the past two years i want to say so overall i buy the game for 48 dollars, and then i trade the game in or sell it for you know anywhere from 15 to 25 so my overall investment for a year of nhl is about 25 dollars total mm -hmm. um, so you know i think uh there's not a lot you can do to combat what you're talking about if you get stuck with a bad game but i think a hard copy can at least help in a little in a little bit uh you know, negate that. Well, in combating it, obviously, it would be, you know, waiting until, you know, reviews are out. Um, because a lot of people, you know, they're so hyped to get the game. I mean, let's think about it logically for a second here. If everybody just waited a day or two until after the game released, you know, people would probably save a whole lot of money. You know, but everybody's got to be out there and they've got to get this game on day one 
in order to get on there and play with their friends. As I've gotten older, I have just been able to, I guess, retrain my brain to not fall into that trap as much and not be so concerned about playing a game a day or a couple of days. You know, I've already waited for six months to a year or two years for the game. I can wait for another week until the reviews come out and until I'm able to, you know, better ascertain as to whether or not the game is an investment. The other thing to consider as well is, is that a lot of these pre-order bonuses, they don't end on the day that the game comes out. You can still get those pre-order bonuses a couple of days, you know, after uh, the game releases um, and still be able to decide, look at the reviews and decide whether or not the purchase is for you. It's just that you have to know that that's available and you actually have to have the discipline in order to be able to do it. Right, and I just wanted to add one thing on that, guys. Is uh, it's it's interesting how the game industry has changed a lot um, as far as when the big release windows are. I guess back in the old days, you know, old days, uh, back a few years ago, <laughs> uh, uh, all all the big games came out in the fall, um, and now kind of like the movie industry, I guess it's now turning into almost like a year-round thing. But specifically in like. I guess a lot of the big releases are coming in September through probably the end of November, and then spring of the following year brings a lot of bigger games, and there's kind of what used to be the dead period. If you remember, we used to always be like, oh, Summer. June, July, August, I would, I would catch up with my backlog. Well, that's kind of slowly going away as well, and um, you're just having year-round releases. But one key thing about the fall is November being the last month when all the big releases come. If you think about it really quick, we've got Black Friday in there, um, that where a lot of those games that release earlier, September, October, will be discounted in some form. Maybe it's only 10, 20 bucks, but you can get a lot more stuff at that point. So just this, just this coming year, we have a ton of massive releases coming out in October. And then with the Xbox One X coming out, we have a lot of titles coming out um, kind of at the beginning of November um, for the Xbox that will kind of bleed from October and people will pick that up as well. So if, if, if you are trying to save that buck, you have to kind of look out for it. Um, at the same time, not everybody has a ton of time to game. So buying, you know, five, six titles in those two months don't really make sense because you'll never get to those games. I, I have some games in my backlog that I bought pretty cheap, but they're still on their wrappers and they haven't been open. So I'm glad I didn't go for those um, just kind of out of the blue uh, when they initially launched. But some people will do that and they'll lose bucks. And if you have the cash, it's easy. It's not a big deal. But if you don't, um, you have to be a little more strategic with buying games. So interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of leads in a little bit to our second kind of sub point, if you will. And that's really around... Um, Day one patches, uh, patches overall, continued patches, bug fixing, um, as well as, you know, updates to games and free additions and things like that. So as we've seen um, with many, many titles nowadays that launch on servers or launch with uh, multiplayer communities or things of that nature, um, a lot of games don't really run smoothly or launch smoothly. You know, they have a lot of bugs and issues on day one. It can sometimes take days, weeks, even months before a game is running optimally or, or how it was advertised to run. Um, so with that being the case, again, we're in a situation where uh, typically a game will never run worse or have less content than it does on day one, right? Um, just it's, it's an industry where as time goes on, overwhelmingly the games just get better and, and deeper and uh, you know have more things to do in them. So I think the argument can be made uh, if, again, talking about backlogs, and if you don't really have time to get to a game on day one or you're, it's not something that you're looking to, uh, to play heavily with a buddy or something like that, that uh, it just makes sense to wait because the game you buy six months down the line is going to not only have everything you would have got on day one, but likely going to have more and have it for less and have it running better. So, um, you know, there's just, uh, there's just very few cons at least that I can think of in this, in, in terms of, um, server stability or, or game stability, um, from buying day one, uh, versus buying later. So what do you guys think about that? You mean pros, Ains, by the way? So there's very few pros that you can think of? Oh, to buying day one. Yes. I, I, I was kind of saying it backwards. I apologize. Yeah. So I meant there, there's very few cons to waiting. Uh, oh, pros yeah. to buying on day one. Yeah, sorry. Um, on 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 the on the patches and the server issues and you know bug fixing and thing like that. Um, uh, because I also play on the PC, you know, uh, I can make sort of a comparison of what happens on the PC versus the console, and um, it's it's actually two different worlds. Uh, believe it or not, I, I think that um, games that are released on the console, you know, even as large as these and as complex as these games are today, relatively speaking to what occurs on the PC it's very, very smooth. 
I know it's probably hard to believe, but until you actually see and go onto the forums, now, I don't have all that many problems when I'm running, you know, new games, which is, you know, on, on my PC, which is rare in and of itself. But because the PC isn't a standard and so many people have so many different configurations, a lot of times these guys really don't know what's going to happen until that thing hits the door and, you know, it gets out into the street and people are having, you know, problems with, you know, some particular, you know, uh, obscure video card or their memory is not matched properly, you know. You can it'd be all sorts of problems on the PC, and if you go on the forums, you can actually see that. Um, I guess probably a, a good example of that would have would have been um, uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands. There were you know some some serious game ending uh, issues on the PC side of of of, of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, there was definitely big issues with the division. Oh my gosh, you know yes. people you know people were you know hacking that game like crazy, mm-hmm. um, and those were issues that. Were, weren't happening on the console, or at least was more difficult for it to happen on the console. So um, I think that the majority of the gamers won't run into issues on the console, but I think that the experience can sometimes be very, very different, um, you know, on, on the PC. I won't even get into Bethesda. Games are bug factories when they come out. Um, so, um, but I, I think that, um, you know, on a whole, you know, most gamers can probably play um games on day one without you know much issue and and uh you know they'll probably have one big patch when you load it into the game and it fixes you know any of the big issues that you might have um somebody will always find a way to exploit them yeah jordan one thing i wanted to touch on that uh kind of goes to your point is i think a lot of times the the pc games that struggle the most um at launch are games that are designed for console that are then ported over to pc Absolutely. Um, and so the, I guess a good example would be the Batman Arkham Knight. So that wasn't necessarily fully designed for PC. It was kind of ported over from the, I guess, the code of, of the console. Um, another one, um, Near Automata, this just was designed specifically for console, but then it's just, it's kind of like a raid commercial to your to your bug factory comment mm-hmm. of, of kind of like, they're just not running that good on PC and so they're problems. But, and then it kind of flips sometimes. Like if you have some of the games that just run so much better on PC and then they kind of struggle on the console, it's the same thing they're optimized for their- Praise, praise a good example there. Yeah, gosh, the, the I, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that alone for now. Cause I, <laughs> yeah. I made the mistake of trying it on PC, and now I don't want to play it until there's a, a proper Xbox One X patch. That's a simple story. Really? Oh, wow. I, oh I, yeah. My PC experience uh, was wonderful. Uh, oh, yeah, no, that no. Point. yeah well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's it, it, it yeah. plays so much better on PC than it does on oh, console. Okay. Yeah, yeah it, was, I, it, it wasn't even close on console. Yeah. I, I think that you're, you're correct. I, it, first of all, it, it's gotten a lot better because ports that were done on, like, the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 over to the PC – those were terabad. I mean, they were, you know, it was it was a pretty big discrepancy at times. But, you know, because the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 are, are really just standardized PCs, you know, there's a lot of that's really kind of been work. It's, it's definitely not as bad as it used to be when it, when it, when it came to ports. Yeah, different architecture now. Yeah, I've heard that mentioned numerous times. I'm not an architecture guru or nothing, but I've heard that the PS4 and the Xbox One are a lot more PC-based than they than the Xbox 360 mm-hmm. and PS3, so it's a little different and easier to develop on. Well, the, the PS3 was a nightmare. I mean, oh, yeah. absolute nightmare. Um, so one of the... Um, one of the pros, though, um, and, and this is something, again, that's really only kind of cropped up. Steam led the way with early access. Now Xbox has the game preview program. And with social media and just having um, everyone kind of having access to developers and publishers nowadays, whether it's Twitter or Reddit or Facebook or any of these outlets, um, one of the neat things is, is that if there's a game, especially one that's a longer tail development or larger game, that you're a big fan of, um, you know, um, I don't really have an example here. Uh, we'll use maybe Ark. I don't know if that's the best example, but Ark Survival Evolved. Um, it's been in early access for a very long time. It's just now reaching the point of what they're calling the 1.0 release. But people have been playing that for a very long time um, and, and kind of talking to the developer and giving feedback and you know helping to kind of evolve the game. Um, and I think that happens across you know many, many different games now because as... To your point, Jordan and Bert, both uh, with games being so complex and having so many integrated systems nowadays, um, they developers know that they can't just test internally because when it does hit, you know, the millions of players, they always find things that the uh, the small group of developers or test groups didn't find. And so, 
we've seen uh, uh, kind of a big popularity with game preview and early access games. And the, obviously the biggest example right now in the industry is PUBG, right? So PUBG is technically still in early access. It's selling gangbusters as we've talked about. But uh, Bluehole, the developer, is kind of uh, developing the game based on player feedback. And I think it's it's kind of neat because I've been involved in a lot of those and Kickstarters, things like that as well, you know, crowdfunding. Um, it's kind of neat when you can be part of a group that's talking to the developers and, and sees developer responses to things that you're uh, either critiquing or, or thinking should be evolved. That's it's kind of a neat experience. So that would be an argument for kind of uh, getting in there either pre-launch or at launch so that you can be part of that community if you're interested in that sort of thing. Yeah, I have mixed feelings uh, a little bit about that. Um, I mean, yeah, I've, I've obviously um, got involved with some of the crowdfunding uh, projects. Um, I'm really looking forward to the uh, System Shock reboot. Oh, so, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I can't like, I literally can't wait for that to come I out. Thought, I thought you were going to say Psychonauts too. No, no, I, I'm still trying to get through one, brother. <laughs> 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 it's interesting. I just got an email yesterday from uh, um, Humble Bundle saying, hey, you can get Psychonauts for free. And I'm like, uh. anyway, <laughs> but uh, you know, part of my part of my issue is, is that a lot of those, you know, crowdfunding type projects, some of these things can be, be hit or miss. I, I actually got involved with a, um, a crowdsourcing project a long time ago. I can't even remember uh, the name of it at this point. And they gave the impression that the game was like relatively polished you know, and, and sort of ready for, for, for release, but, but, you know, you can get on board early. And if, if it felt like I was basically paying them to help them polish a turd, it's like a turd polishing contest, <laughs> you know, it's, so I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it bugged me because it was like, you know, when is this game actually going to come out? And some, some of these developers, I mean, obviously I, I can give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, they must be working really hard in order to bring the game. But some of these guys like drop off the face of the planet and you really don't have a good idea as to, you know, what's going on or when the game is going to come out or, you know, if they're, if it's actually really going to um, meet the expectations uh, that you were originally sold uh, when they were trying to get you to crowdfund the game. Um, so for me, me personally, I don't actually, because my time is limited, I actually don't take much enjoyment um, in going through uh, and critiquing a game that is not ready for prime time yet. That's, you know, I, I can see that some people might find pride in that, but it's hard for me to, you know, really get into that because I want to play a finished product. I don't want to play hours and hours and hours of something that has bugs or that's broken you know, going through all these quests to then finally six months to a year from now play the game in its final state, you know, um, but I've already been through some of the broken quests already and I kind of know, I've already played the bad experience, so to speak, you know, sort of like Andromeda. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes up. It always comes up. Forever. Yeah, so the one thing I was thinking about was if, if a lot of these developers are really kind of launching an unfinished game maybe due to a rush date or something or the release date that they're kind of forced on by their publishers or Microsoft or Sony or Nintendo. And are we really getting like a beta form of a game? Are we, are we the beta testers for a lot of these games? Um, you're paying for, you're paying yeah, the beta yeah, test. You're technically paying for it. And, and I'm definitely down with like a, the Fortnites or the PUBGs or whatever, where the games are purposely telling you that this is just the beta you're getting started. This is not the full release. And I think that's something that a lot more developers should kind of, uh, start to do if that's the case that we're seeing. I mean, the game's sitting right behind you, Ains. I mean, No Man's Sky, and that game launched <laughs> completely incomplete. Um, and a lot of the promises that they made during development, and you can definitely see that they just weren't ready to release that game. But um, they ended up paying for it, and I, I, I think they should pay for that kind of stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happening with it, but I don't know. Uh, I, I'm really concerned that a lot of these games coming out um, were really the beta testers versus a game, to Jordan's point, that is completely done. If you look at some of the big ones recently, Battlefields, those are never ready to go when they release. There's tons of issues with them. Destiny 1, when that released, the game completely revamped itself before even new DLC came out, and then new DLC came out, and they changed things again. So... I guess you kind of pay for that as an early adopter versus waiting till the end um, of when you get the definitive edition or the game of the year edition with all DLC, all bugs, fixes. But that kind of segues us to the next topic, which is, you know, multiplayer rooms and stuff like that. I'll let you start it out, James. 
Yeah, no, I was going to say the exact thing. You guys make some good points, and that does segue segue us uh, directly to the next point we were going to talk about that. And that's specifically relating to multiplayer communities, Um, whether it's PvE or PvP. uh, There's kind of multiple aspects to this. Um, So just a few examples, and then I'll let you guys kind of give your thoughts. But for me personally, I'm a huge competitive multiplayer guy. I love competitive multiplayer. There's a few certain titles. Obviously, Halo goes without saying. Uh, but Gears of War, um, Battlefield, Call of Duty, basically anything that's competitive. I'm really looking forward to PUBG on Xbox. Um, I like to get in there and just right away get my hands into it, try and figure it out, figure out strategies, learn it. And when you're talking about a competitive multiplayer, something like those games I just mentioned, um, if you wait even a few weeks after launch, you're immediately at a disadvantage. Um, as soon as someone knows how the weapons respond, how the movement is, what players tendencies are, uh, map, you know, obviously the map designs are huge. If you get in there, um, on day one and you kind of learn those things along with the community and you discuss those things on social media, discussing strategies, discussing weapon layouts and class layouts, what, what game have you, Rainbow Six Siege, another big one right now. You're part of that learning community, and that group of people is going to dominate new players. Um, you ask anyone right now who is new at something like Halo 5 or Gears 4 to get online and play in a competitive multiplayer match, and you are going to get crushed. Uh, and it's just it's the nature of the game. Um, so if, if you're really interested in a title uh, like I am, again, you know, Halo, I'm always there on day one. I'm always got time booked out to just get in there and start learning it and being part of that initial group so but like i said it doesn't necessarily just um apply to pvp or competitive multiplayer because if you think of something you know right now like destiny 2 for example so yesterday the first team in the world completed the first destiny 2 raid and so the past week week and a half across you know tons of gaming channels even podcasts um social media what have you there's been just groups of people talking about Destiny 2 and saying, you know, here's what I'm doing and here's what you should do to get this loot and here's what you should do to get your light level up and all the things we associate with Destiny. But, you know, again, that creates a sense of camaraderie and, uh, you know, kind of group play and dynamic that does fade over time. Um, Because if you wait and you don't do any of that and you go and buy the game six months down the line, um, there's going to be a lot less people kind of starting out. You know, everyone's kind of reached the pinnacle or they're playing really competitively or what have you. And so uh, it's a lot less discussion around it. So it, I, it, it may come down to <clears throat> an individual's mentality about those things. Um, I know personally, I do like being involved in those communities. and I love kind of figuring things out early, which is, you know, can be a problem. As I said, I buy too many games. But uh, I think there's some, uh, some good arguments for um, getting in a game right away that has multiplayer component or group component of some kind. So I don't know who wants to touch on that first, Bert, you want to, you want to head that one off? Yeah, sure. Um, I, we, I completely agree. I mean, um, we, we both have had friends that we tried to get into our gears group, you know, four or five months in and they'll play one game and they just get toasted. And then after that, we never hear from them again to play. Um, Cause it's just, it's just, it's just not a fun experience. I mean, you're, and even like if you're playing with your friends that have maybe leveled up and maybe that game doesn't have a leveling, uh, you know, way to organize who they're joining other games with. You might be a level 60. You have your level one noob joining and they are getting destroyed by other level 60. So they're so, like, yeah, I'm not interested. So Bert, uh, I didn't want to interrupt here, but I just saw something that's highly relevant to what you just said. So Lee Perry, who is an Epic uh, Games uh, lead developer who worked on the Gear series for years, he released a statistic just today, just a few hours ago, And he said the data they found in Gears of War is that 90% of first-time players who don't get a kill in their first multiplayer match will not play a match again. Yep. Yep. 90%. Yeah. And and I I think one of the things is if you're going to play a competitive game in general, not just shooters, but also racers, and a good example of that is like the Forza series, when you play the motorsport series where it's a bit more competitive, if you miss out on learning the new cars, there's different classes of cars in Forza. And in each class, there's always like two to three cars that kind of have an advantage of the others because they weren't balanced very well. And if you try to join and it's your first time and you pick the greatest car ever made, which is the Toyota Supra, and you play it against like maybe, um, I don't know, something else, that's the, the advantage of that car. Um, then you're going to get wasted and destroyed and you're never going to want to play again. So kind of like to the stat you just mentioned, um, it's, it's going to be an issue. So I, I can completely see people 
thing. I need to get on this community. Same with sports titles. I mean, when NBA 2K and Madden and, and those seasons are over. So when the NBA season's over, NBA 2K drops off like crazy when you have concurrent players mm-hmm. that are playing. When the when the Super Bowl finishes, Madden just drops in price almost. I believe it even joins the, the EA Access Bolt the second the Super Bowl is over. And then you see the games drop. So you have to kind of get on those communities ahead of time if you're planning on being competitive. Single-player games, completely different. Do that whenever you want. Take advantage of the sales when those come because you're not going to be affected outside of glitches and, and game-breaking things like in the Assassin's Creed world where you're just screwed up launch almost every single time. <laughs> Jordan was, and I know a lot about that. I was going to just really comment before Jordan says, I was going to comment about your super comment. I think that's where they dominate the Class D racing. Is that right? <laughs> blasphemy. Jordan, Jordan, you're going to say something. As a former Supra owner, blasphemy. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, you know, I think that uh, this is one of these questions um, or issues where it, it really depends upon uh, the type of multiplayer that you're doing. Um, you know, I, I've played StarCraft and StarCraft II for years. Um, I don't really complain. I don't really play all that much competitively. But the one thing that I really like about how their system is, is that they have a ranking system. And it's you know, whatever algorithms that they use, you know, your account is tied to, uh, you know, a win-loss ratio, and they run seasons. And the thing that's really great about that is when the system is working properly, it's, it's, it's usually not – it's usually rare that you're going to, like, come in as a, as, a, as a bronze player and get matched up against, like, you know, a master or a gold master, you know, which is, like, you know, six levels, you know, above you and, you know, somebody that's playing – pretty close to pro on, on the level. Uh, so I think that much of the problem with how multiplayer is being done in a lot of these other games and these other competitive shooters is they lack that. And it's one big scrum. And it allows for, you know, high-level uh, players who have been playing for a very long time to essentially farm these new guys, which makes it a barrier to entry, and it pu- actually pushes people away from wanting to play the game. So for me, I, I, th- I think that it's a fundamental issue of, of design and focus of, of these multiplayer communities. I would encourage a lot of these game companies to start trying to enact some type of system like that so that, hey, you know what, if you're a newbie, you know, you can jump in and sort of learn the ropes with a bunch of other newbies. You know, you're not getting this, you know, this one ball cracker rolling up in there, you know, but check out, you know, in, in, you know, level, you know, 75 armor, you know, and he's just like basically trolling everyone, you know, and, and like the statistics said, you know, 90% of these guys don't ever come back. I, that's, that's a terrible thing for the community. Uh, the other thing is, is, is that, you know, multiplayer from a multiplayer standpoint of, playing with my friends in a non-competitive, you know, manner, um, you know, there is a drop-off in, with some of these games. Um, uh, Wildlands is just coming out with a PvP, uh, what, in a couple months, I think? But um, And actually, uh, they're, yeah, they're having a beta for it next week, actually. Yeah, yeah, so, so they, they haven't even had PvP yet. But it, 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 for as far as the PVE experiences is, is, has been concerned, you know, hey, you know, I was able to go in, I was able to play with my buddies, we had a great time, you know, everybody did their thing, but over time, people go in, they're going to gravitate towards other games. So by waiting for certain games like that for too late, you end up in a situation where you don't really have anybody to play in the PVE environment or anybody that you know of. And a lot of these games, I feel, at least for me, are very social. I don't necessarily like playing with total strangers. It's just not my thing, <laughs> you know. I like playing with people that I know, and we, you know, talk about the day, and we, you know, you know, you know talk about what we're going to do next week, and we laugh, and we joke, and we use that as a means to be able to connect with each other. Since you know, with all of our busy schedules, you know, we can't do and and meet up like we used to when we were young every other day and go and do something and hang out. We just have too many responsibilities. So, um, I think that that's a that's a huge pro when it comes to certain games that. Um, you know, everybody's pretty interested in case in point i've got like there are people that are giving me like the serious hardcore press hard uh you know hardcore press on on the on the destiny 2 you know trying to get me <laughs> to buy this thing you know i'm just like you know dude no i don't want to do it oh dude i mean you got to come and play this game so you know i'm probably gonna end up getting it but anyway um 
<laughs> so I, I think that that's 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 a huge pro um, in order to uh, actually go out and buy these games, depending upon what it is. But as Bert said, if it's a single player game, dude, I wait for single player games. Yeah, you know, I won't be playing Assassin's Creed until next year. Yeah, and you're <laughs> even people who buy it on day one won't be playing it till next year. Um, <laughs> I still gotta um, play Birds. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, I think your point about um, about ranking systems is valid, though. I think those started uh, at least, you know, on a major scale. I think they started on a lot of PC titles first. Fortunately, we have seen some of the bigger. Uh, console game developers go that way. So, for instance, you mentioned, like, seasons and rankings and things like that. So, you know, Halo 5 did that with their arena play. Gears 4 is doing that. Overwatch has ranked play like that. Uh, Rainbow Six Siege is another big one. But then, you know, the two probably best-selling shooters on the planet, um, Battlefield and Call of Duty, neither of them have a ranking system. They just yeah. throw you in whatever server or lobby you're in, and you'll get guys who are, you know, in Call of Duty, uh, I frequently... Bert and I play it together. We'll see prestige 10 guys in there who have, you know, a thousand hours in the game and I've got 20, you know, and it's just, uh, it's kind of strange like that. I've always kind of wished that uh, I agree with your point on, on kind of ranked matchmaking and things like that. In fact, these guys, Bert will tell you because I play Halo so much, I'm one of the higher ranked guys and they often yell at me when we go to play together because when we're in a team, it changes that algorithm to average everyone on the team out and so I attract higher level players when we play a game like Halo and these guys will get crushed sometimes <laughs> and they, uh, you know, they yell at me. They don't want to play with me anymore. So it can, curve. it can, yeah, it can have a counter effect for me because it's like I want to play with my buddies. But then, you know, I don't want them feeling like shit when they, they get killed, too. So but um, the only, uh, you know, I was going to say the only con and I don't even know if it's really a con, um, but is that if if you do wait a lot of multiplayer games, you know, they have things content added, right? So they'll add guns, or they'll add characters, or they'll add maps. But on top of that, as, as time evolves, so Battlefield's kind of notorious for this, right? Especially if you look at, like, Battlefield 4. That game was still, or DICE was still doing full-on weapon tuning changes. I mean, top to bottom. Every weapon in the game tuning changes two years after release. So, you know, you could play that game for six months and then all of a sudden you download the next update and everything you've come to know is is altered. Um, so whereas someone who's buying it, you know, that Christmas or what have you comes in and they're playing the the final version that's already kind of been out. Um, so I, I don't really know if that's a con, you know. I mean, you kind of, if you've been playing it, you evolve with the game and you may even understand the changes that are coming better than most. Um, but otherwise, I think everything we've said about multiplayer, whether it's... Uh, group or competitive co-op or competitive um is kind of valid i think multiplayer has a bigger argument for buying day one or pre-purchasing than uh single player games do by a long shot all right so the only other thing is uh, and we kind of touched on this in price point because it ties together but one of the last kind of major point we were going to comment on is dlc expansions and seasons uh, season passes so as i said uh with the price point is that those things are most expensive when you pre-purchase and buy them on day one or we see a lot of games nowadays have deluxe editions or ubisoft has what the gold edition where it includes the game and whatever you know kind of season pass i think uh um, there's an Assassin's Creed Gold Edition, I think, coming, and a Far Cry Gold Edition, Far Cry 5 already announced. So um, <clears throat> I think that oftentimes, especially, and I don't want to pick on uh, Ubisoft here, um, even, though we, <laughs> even though we tend to a lot. Um, but, you know, really? I'll give For Honor as an example. I bought the Collector's Edition, and I did that because I liked the, uh, the physical item that came with it. But from a, like a season pass perspective, you know, I haven't touched that game in a while now, and they're, they're still going to be making updates to it for the next six to 12 months. Uh, and we're already six months post-release. So you think, you know, nearly 18 months after release. And if I just wait till all that stuff's out, I'll be able to buy the expansion pass probably for 10 or $20 on sale. Whereas it would have cost me, you know, 40 or 50 at launch. And, and it's not like you have the content when you buy the pass, you're just buying it for the future. Um, and I think another con there too is oftentimes, and you, you kind of touched on this earlier, Jordan, is oftentimes you're paying money for something you don't even know what you're getting. You know, it just says expansion two coming in fall and expansion three coming in spring. And you have no idea if it's going to be something you like or not. Um, the division was a good example of that. You know, I, I love the survival DLC that came out. I thought that was really well done. But then they came out with something, uh, The Last Stand, I think it was called. And I've never even played it, not once. It just doesn't interest me. So even though I had the season pass, it's just a waste of money. Um, so I, I really don't know if there's... Um, 
I don't really know if there's a pro here. You know, I kind of had some notes around if you something like Witcher 3, which probably I would argue all day long has the best expansion pass ever created in games um, because of the, the amount of content you got for $25. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, that game is so big and so large and you, you would put 150 hours into just the core game that, uh, you know, when those expansions did release, you were kind of ready to play them, and they just expanded upon what you had already played. Whereas if you waited to buy that um, when the complete edition came out, you had 200-plus hours of content to start fresh on. So, um, you know, for games like that, I think uh, I think it kind of makes sense to, to, you know, enjoy the hell out of the game, the main game, and then when the expansion releases, you just can kind of continue that journey of enjoyment. But um, I think those are kind of few and far between. So, Jordan, what do you what do you think on that? Um, complex issue. Um, for me, I have yet to pick up a game brand new on launch day and buy a season pass in which I enjoyed every aspect of that season pass. Not one. And now, I'm, I I'm, I'm, don't mean to interrupt you, Jordan, but right. did you play Witcher? Do you like RPGs? I strangely enough, I, I love RPGs. I've never been able to get into The Witcher. I've got it. All yeah, right. I know. Yeah, he's just like, oh. right. yeah. <laughs> I've got both of them, actually. I never completed. I played The Witcher 1. I probably got about maybe 40% through. I think something came out, and then I dropped it. And after a while, I just deleted it off my computer. Witcher 2, you know, I, I started playing it. Then I was like, well, you know, it seems like it's picking up where The Witcher 1 left off, and I don't know what happened to The Witcher 1, but I don't want to go back and play The Witcher 1, so <laughs> delete it. So, I mean, one day maybe I'll go back and I'll, and I, and I'll play it. Um, Just play Witcher 3. It'll change your mind, I promise. Okay. Um, you know, but as, as far as, like, on day one, you know, for, for day one content, you know, and for pre-orders and things, I've, I've bought, you know, these these season passes. And I'm, I'm being serious. I've never had a season pass yet that has released – content in which everything that came out in that season path was pass was worth it so you know i sat down one day and i just actually really started doing the math you know on these things i said okay so so let's say you know most of these season passes probably come with about maybe three or four dlcs you know if even one of those dlcs suck it's not worth the season pass and the thing about it is is that the season passes really only save you I'm going to guess somewhere around five bucks. So I did this with, um, with Wildlands. I didn't buy a season pass with Wildlands. And, for, and it ended up being the exact, the first one that came out stunk. Okay, so I would have been <laughs> pissed off, you know, if I had bought that season pass and gotten the first one because people were pissed off. I wasn't. I think it was Narco Rose, I think is what it was called. And it was awful. You know, so people didn't like that one. Well, right there, that's, you know, whatever the cost that you pay for the season pass, however many DLCs that they, they, they plan on bringing out, divide that, you know, divide that number. And, and you could basically say that that much money for you was wasted. Um, the other two that came out were relatively decent, but they weren't anything to really, you know, you know, shout about. At the end of the day, I haven't played any of the DLC for for Wildlands and I didn't miss it. Okay, so the only DLC that I have ever purchased where it was a season pass was in, in ended up being after the fact, uh, and that was Borderlands 2, which I felt was brilliant. Like, yeah. practically every single last one of those DLCs were absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. uh, and their, their final DLC was just absolutely incredible, and it, it would have been worth the cost of the season pass by itself. But the thing about it is, is I didn't buy Borderlands 2 for like a couple of months until after the game was out and many of the DLCs were already coming out with good reviews. So I had the benefit of knowledge to say, okay, well, it looks like the season pass is a good idea and I'll save money instead of buying these things independently. But as far as on game day, I, I, I won't be taking part of season passes anymore. It's just not worth it. It's too much of a risk that you're going to end up wasting your money. If you actually do the math, it's not worth it. So I consider the $5 that I would save in, um, in buying the season pass versus not buying the season pass, I would consider basically that as an insurance policy. I'm willing to pay basically a potential $5 more to buy all the DLC in order to save myself the possibility of being frustrated or pissed off that I wasted you know, half that amount on, on lousy DLC or something that didn't really add to the game. Right, and I just want to add a couple things. So 
first of all, there's there's a few games that I'll talk about coming up that I'll just sh- tell you the math on how crazy it is to buy all DLC um, right off the bat. But the first one is that I'm seeing a lot around the industry is that buying the season pass doesn't actually save you anything anymore. It's all the same cost. You end up paying the same amount individually. And to Jordan's point, um, you know, you might buy a game and like the first DLC on something and not care for the second one and maybe like the third one again. Some good examples is like Injustice behind what's playing right now. If you don't care about that first player pack or something, you may miss skip on it and just get the next one versus buying the entire season pass off the bat when you initially buy the game. You're not saving any money anymore in a lot of season passes. But um, a good example of a game that got really expensive with DLC is Destiny 1. And I always talk about Destiny because it's kind of a phenomenon that I still think is kind of head-scratching. But if you bought the limited edition one, um, there's some DLC that they considered as part of the first season. So some of the DLC that came later was not part of the original season pass. Now, you see this happen with Forza, where they have a DLC where I believe... Uh, the car pass is what they call it. And you get that for the first season. So you're technically buying a season pass, but that game got really expensive as well. So you buy a game that's $100. You buy the first season that comes with that season pass. And then there's more DLC that starts coming out eventually. So eventually you're paying north of 150 to $200 for these games that are just adding DLC to it. And it becomes really frustrating when, if you're patient, and once again, this works more for single player games, you can buy the complete edition, the game of the year edition down the line for maybe 30, 40 bucks. Uh, you mentioned Witcher Ains. If you bought it for $59.99 for the base game and then paid an additional $25 for the season pass, which by the way was a great price in my opinion, um, then you're paying, what is that, in, in close to $75, $85 depending on where you're getting it. But if you waited for the complete edition, was it $29.99 when it ended up Finally, finally falling in price, Ains. I can't remember the Witcher 3 price. You can get it for about that now. Yeah, it, yeah. it was 60 again on day one, but it, it dropped pretty right. quickly. So yeah. once again, it's single-player game. <laughs> Multiplayer doesn't really matter, but you're getting the complete edition. All the bugs worked out, everything finely tuned with the DLC for $30 eventually. So, you know, being patient kind of pays off, but, you know, once again, in any industry that has to do with technology or something, being that early adopter does cost and you really have to decide for yourself if that extra cost is something that's worth it to you or not. Um, so that's kind of my point. I just wanted to make on DLC in general. Um, one last thing that I wanted to mention about horrible DLC modeling was Arkham Knight. And I am a sucker for the Arkham series. I've bought all of them. I did um, get the collector's edition for Arkham Knight and they had the weirdest kind of DLC thing that you could do. You buy the game, and they didn't even tell you what was coming with that DLC patch. They said, we'll have some story uh, missions that are going to be story. So everybody's like, oh, great, we're going to have story, not these stupid multiplayer challenges where you challenge your, your time to complete a map ahead of everybody else. Everybody's like, we're going to get this awesome DLC. So people paid north of $40 for this DLC. The DLC came out, and it was horrible horrible single-player missions. One was for Batgirl. There was a Harley Quinn one as well that people could play. Um, And then lastly, there was a... uh, Gosh, I I can't remember it. Um, Another Robin mission, I think, or something. So people were like, oh my gosh, I paid this much for DLC that I should have never did, and I have no idea what it was. So... I think DLC in general is getting a remodel from a lot of different developers. It really depends how you do it. If you're buying episodic content, you know, to Jordan's point, think about what you want before buying. Just simply buying a blanket season pass. I see GameStop constantly trying to get people to buy that season pass. That's kind of where they make some of their money. Um, but, you know, there's tons of different ways you can go on it. Just, once again, if you've got the money, buy whatever you want. If you don't, you got to be a little more selective of what you're buying and kind of do the research before going and buying. So, that's it. I'll get off my soapbox. I can keep going, but we don't have the time. Yeah, 100%, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, one good example of um, kind of paying ahead of time and not getting your money's worth, if you will. So, Battlefield 1... Um, oh, the, yeah. Yeah, the, the premium pass is $50 for that game. Uh, it promised four expansions. And so if you bought the game in this premium pass on day one, you're $110 invested retail price, right? Um, <clears throat> so the second expansion in the name of the czar just released last week for the premium pass members, but the premium pass has already dropped in price. So, <laughs> so yeah, it makes no you, sense at all. Yeah, they actually came out with another edition of the game called the Rev. I think it's the Revolution Edition. Is that right, Bert? Do you know? Uh, uh, I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. Okay, I think it's the Revolution Edition. That was sixty dollars. GameStop had it on sale last week 
for $40. And it is Battlefield 1 with the premium pass for $40. And the second expansion of 4 only just released the same week. So it, it's absolutely mind-boggling why. And that happened with Battlefield 4 as well. Um, so it's, it's mind-boggling to me that people will buy the Battlefield premium pass on day one when really you're getting early access for one expansion of the three or four that they're offering when you can just wait and, and buy it for less before the expansions even finish coming out. It's, it's really baffling. Um, yeah, the math, but I mean, not to drive James, but the math yeah. makes zero sense there. Um, if you just think about it, uh, to answer your question as well, the, so the original one, if you bought the season pass, was called the early enlister deluxe edition. Right. Uh, the one that recently is out and currently you can buy at stores is the revolution edition. So Battlefield revolution. one revolution. And it has been on sale at numerous retailers for less than 59 99. So yeah, it was, it was $40 last week. Um, yep. which, <laughs> You know, people paid more than that for just the premium pass. So, um, anyway, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Um, and it's obviously intentional. I mean, and, you know, even when you're, you know, all of these different editions, uh, the object really, I think, by a lot of these marketing departments is to make this so confusing uh, to the consumer that I think that many people just don't really know what it is that they're actually buying. You know, uh, when it comes to a lot of these season passes and what you're getting. And, you know, of course, then you've got all the different stores that have you know, their own, you know, special versions of the game, you know, that they get if you if you buy it early and put down a pre-order. So it, it's it's actually so convoluted and fractured out there. I think that basically people are kind of getting intentionally ripped off by a lot of these companies because nobody's actually sat down and done the math. People just don't really sit down and do the math on this. And by the time um, a lot of these later DLCs come out, you know, maybe these individuals aren't even playing the game anymore, so they don't even care. But yeah. if you actually really went back and looked at it, I mean, you're, you're, you're paying more money for something, and I just have a problem with basically paying for something that I don't even know what I'm getting yet, but I've already invested the money in, in, yep. into the, into the yeah. product. I just, I just can't do that. Agreed. Um, so there, there, just one other aspect on that, and we're not going to talk about it here because we already talked about it. So we're seeing a lot of games do things where the expansions and the DLC is free. Um, so Star Wars Battlefront 2 is, is coming out. They've announced there's no season pass and the expansions for it will be free. But they're moving towards uh, you know getting additional money from players with loot boxes or loot crates. And so if you haven't listened to it or watched it, uh, the three of us did a prior season gaming conversation all about loot boxes and microtransactions and their effect on the industry and what we're seeing. So uh, that may be of interest because it's kind of relevant to this discussion as well. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I think uh, I think we've kind of covered all the subtopics, if you will. So I think we'll just uh, kind of close out and give our own personal opinions, uh, good or bad for buying at launch or what your personal habits are. Um, I think uh, the only other kind of nuance to this is what uh, people refer to as like the water cooler conversation. You know, uh, Destiny 2 is the prime example right now. PUBG is another one where the game is so popular across the gaming industry right now. Um, and it's talked about so often by so many people that when you're a big gamer, um, you know, many people have kind of the mentality where they want to be included in that conversation or involved in that conversation. And so I know uh, even I'm guilty of this as well uh, on occasion where uh, I hear great things about a game that I didn't plan on buying. And it's like, oh, man, if so many people are saying it's really good, you know, I'd really like to see it. And I want to get in there and talk about it, why everyone else is talking about it so that I can be involved in that conversation. So, um, you know, that's kind of one of those that really didn't fit in the bucket of topics we were talking about. But I think that does come into play in, in some regard. So uh, with that, I think, um, Jordan, why don't you go ahead and kind of close us out on, on your kind of personal opinions on, uh, you know, what you like to do or what you consider um, when a game launches that you're interested in? Um, well, like I said, it's, you know, earlier, there's going to be multiplayer games that I'm going to receive an awful lot of pressure from friends and stuff like that in order to, to get. Uh, one example of that, you know, is, you know, Destiny 2. Um, I've been getting some pressure in order to play the new Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, that's been ready to come out as well, even though I'm actually interested in that game for the, uh, the single-player story versus the multiplayer. Um, well, Bert so, and I, I will mean, both be playing the multiplayer as well. So I'm sure I'll be getting the full-core press from you guys as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I, for me, um, I t probably tend to uh, play more single-player experiences or um, 
Uh, if I do play multiplayer, it's it's not competitive. It's with buddies, you know, uh, that are trying to do a common objective, and we're doing co-op in some aspect. Um, so in in the cases in which it's a game that requires co-op, I'm more willing um, to buy a game. Maybe not necessarily on day one, but you know, relatively soon after launch. Um, for the single player experience, I'm more apt to wait much longer. Uh, unless it's something that I've really been looking forward to or I hear something amazing about. Um, yeah, an example of that would be Prey. I mean, I actually bought, I didn't buy Prey at launch. I probably bought it maybe three or four weeks after launch. Uh, but it was it was at a relatively decent sale. I think I got picked up for like, you know, 39 bucks off of Green Man Gaming. Uh, and I feel as if I got my value out of that game as far as the experience is concerned. But that's, that's a rare thing. It, we've said it before. Uh, I've said it before, I don't buy Assassin's Creed games, you know, at any time within 10 months of the release of that game, <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah I've, the only game in which I have ever done that was the very first one. You know, I, I've not bought one within 10 months of release since then. And then in a couple of cases, I've actually waited two years before I actually uh, played the played the experience, um, just to make sure uh, that the bugs are worked out. Uh, uh, same thing with Bethesda games. Um, I... I, I don't buy Bethesda's games at launch or within a year of each other. I try to get the game of the year edition, and by then they've worked out, you know, the sixteen thousand bugs that are in the in the game. The community has worked out a lot of the bugs in the game, and they also have a habit of you know releasing updated content and improving aspects of the game and releasing high res versions and things like that. So um, I tend to wait on that experience because I prefer to play the experience uh, as 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 in the best form that I possibly can play it in. Very good. Cool. Thank you. Well, what do you think, Bert? Yeah, I'll wrap it up with a few different things that I just kind of took notes on during. Um, and the first thing, uh, Jordan, earlier you mentioned that you're kind of just nervous from some, some games that you just can't be trusted anymore. And the only thing I can say on that is from a consumer perspective, and this is mainly for people listening, not directly to Jordan, but there's a pretty hefty track record on most developers on if their game is going to be absolute crap at launch or if they're going to have a pristine game at launch. And so if you have kind of a bad experience with, you know, Ubisoft or DICE or whatever the case is, it's more than likely that their next game is going to have issues at launch and you can really kind of educate yourself on that as well as listening to kind of us because we kind of tend to harp on a lot of these people <laughs> uh, fairly often. So kind of just educate yourself on that if you are into saving that extra buck like most of us are. Um, and it's, it's crazy. Like Nintendo first party stuff always works. There's never anything wrong with them. They barely add patches where they might improve something here and there, but they're rarely ever buggy at all. Um, a lot of Microsoft first party stuff or even Sony first party stuff is pretty, pretty standardly it released really, really well without any bugs and stuff. So um, pay attention to that for yourself when, when you are shopping and kind of like your own track record history. Um, another thing I did want to mention is something to help you out um, as a consumer is buy physical versus digital. Um, to save yourself some buck and to maybe trade in stuff, give it to a friend to try out, or even do a trade-in later on down the road. If you buy digital, you're kind of screwed. There's not a thing you can do to it. Even though I have seen um, Xbox Live, PSN, and even PC uh, give refunds back if you do it within a certain amount of time and if there's something wrong. So be aware of those refunds if you're just totally not happy with the game that launches broken. Um, and lastly, the last thing I did want to mention is kind of do what works for you as a consumer. If you're tight on money and want to play more games, um, you know, definitely save that extra dollar for a single player game. If you have plenty of money and don't really carry their way, buy whatever the hell you want to buy. But um, there is avenues um, to save a lot of money with these types of games that launch for Slater or even taking advantage of what we mentioned before um, with Amazon, Best Buy, um, or waiting for things to be used um, at your game flies, your game stops and that stuff. And when it comes to collector's editions, um, one of the things I'm OCD about is I track all these things. And if you follow us on the Facebook group, I pretty much weekly update people on where things were. For example, the Titanfall 2 collector's edition, when that came out, to uh, $249.99 on all consoles, it's down to $160. And you can kind of pick that up, and it's a great piece. And so I've, I've bought tons of, of uh, collector's editions that don't include the game for a third of what they were, a fourth of what they were. So being patient does help out in the long run, and definitely take advantage of that if you can be patient. I know some of us can't. I'm super guilty of it as well, but to Jordan's point, I will not buy an Assassin's Creed at launch, except this one coming out. Right. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, anyway, that's just my two cents. I mean, I we, we've been doing this for a long time, and I'm sure everybody um, that listens has been doing it too. But 
you know, you can get a lot more stuff if you just kind of wait out. Yeah, I think, uh, I think I agree with everything you guys said. And I think the industry nowadays just behooves people waiting more than it used to maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to convince myself more and more to wait on some games. I'm hugely guilty of just wanting to play everything, and so I buy everything. I think we were joking last big cast that I came home from England and I had like five games waiting for me. Um, and it, two, two of those games I think I haven't even played yet. Uh, you know, So it just kind of uh, emboldens the point that, that waiting is smart. Um, other than that, I think this was a pretty good conversation. I think that uh, you know, as the industry evolves... A lot of these things that uh, consumers and players deal with um, in terms of gaming evolves as well. And like I said, I think this is just one of those major topics that's becoming more and more relevant as games become either more expensive or more complex or, uh, you know, limited in collector's editions become more prevalent because that really wasn't a thing even, you know, 10 years ago as well. And now you can get collector's editions, limited editions of tons of different games. Um, but anyway, as always, I uh, hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, as we always say. So, Bird is Treb M3. I'm Porsche Power, and Season Gaming has its own account. Uh, we like to promote our Facebook group, where if you want to chat with other with uh, Bert, Jordan, or myself, or just some uh, other like-minded gamers, you can find us there as well. Um, otherwise, uh, look for our further conversations from the three of us, and our uh, Season Gaming podcast is published every uh, two weeks as well. So, thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.